Do you want me to clap my hands? Is this good? Does that help? Is that gonna get, like white balance the camera and stuff? Oh, good. I can't preach if I don't warm up. I gotta get my warm up on. <laughs> I can't do one handed push ups, but I can't. Okay, ready for our shots. Trail series. We began in the great state of Wyoming, we moved our way through Montana, we adventured in Oregon, and we finally have come to the state of Utah. I want to say hello to everybody at every single Fresh Life location, those of you joining on television, on church online. We're really glad to have you. It's such a privilege. I'm currently standing at the edge of uh, this amazing expanse in Dead Horse Point State Park, just outside of the city of Moab, surrounded by famous parks like Arches and Canyonlands. This is truly a gem of the state of Utah and a, one of the more beautiful places I've ever seen ever anywhere in the world. And we've come here to take to the trails while we're also going on a journey together, ascending in our hearts, using the Psalm of Ascents as our guide. If you're just joining us now, we've been studying out of this section of the scriptures called the Psalm of Ascents. Basically, it's a bunch of songs that God's people used to sing when they were making their way on the trails, headed to feasts, headed to worship, and they would use these to elevate their hearts even as they were gaining in elevation above sea level making their way to worship the God who created the heavens and the earth. We're going to be in Psalm 133 today, so if you have your own copy of the Bible, you can make your way there. And if you don't have one, no problem at all. We're going to be putting the verses up on the screen for you. The title of my message today is Beard Oil and Mountain Dew. And while you take a little bit of time to write that down at the top of your notes, Wouldn't leave that there. So Psalm 133, here's what we find, and I promise you that'll make sense by the end of this message. It says in verse one, a song of ascents of David. Oh, and by the way, that's significant because David only wrote four of the Psalms of ascents. His son Solomon wrote one, and the other 10, we don't know who wrote them. But verse one, David writes, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The key to this psalm, the big word to this psalm, the big idea here in this song is the word unity. Many coming together to form and to act and to lead as one. And that's the idea. We're going to be discovering the power of unity. You know, all throughout scripture, you really find that unity is so important to God. 
uh, all throughout the scriptures. We're told and exhorted and, and reminded and urged to fight for unity. And the way the Bible talks about it makes it clear that it's not something that's easy and it's not something that happens on its own. It's something that takes intentional effort. I picked out a few different examples of what I'm talking about. Colossians chapter 3 verse 14 says, Most of all, let love guide your life, for then the whole church will stay together in perfect harmony. What he's saying is you have to fight to keep love at the center of everything that's going to make the church, make many in the church. In our church, it's many locations spread out across four different states, 12 different cities. It takes love for many to act as one in perfect harmony. Then in Ephesians 4, 3, Paul tells us, I want you to endeavor, look at it on the screen, to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring is a verb. It's, it's a word that means like striving or trying or working really hard at. I want you to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What is this telling us? This is telling us that the default is chaos. The default is everyone does their own thing. The default, everyone marches to the beat of their own drum. But it takes work. And we t today are going to learn and really believe that God's going to do a deep work in our hearts, that we're going to see the, the result of love and peace having their perfect work, keeping us in perfect harmony, united together. This was something so important to Jesus. In fact, just before Jesus died on the cross, he prayed one last prayer. It's John chapter 17. And you're like, what was on his heart in that final period of his life before he died? The answer is unity. In fact, he prayed this way, Father, I pray that they may be one as we are one. He, he said, the way that me and you, God, are, are one, though we're multiple, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but we're one, one God. The way we're united as one, I pray that the church would be united as one, which is tragically all too often not what you find. You find in a local church so many different ideas and we should go this way and factions and if I don't like it, I'll, I'll leave and I'll go start my own church and I'll find a pastor who will do what I like and I'll, I'll go over here. And, and, and tragically, most people, when they think of the church, they think of that disorganization, they think of that disunity, that squabbling and fighting. And I think that the Christians should do this and shouldn't do that and it should be this way. And, and so often unity is not what you think of when you think of the church. Though that was Jesus, you could say, his dying request of his followers. I like how Pastor Rick Warren put it. He said, quote, it is, and listen, every single person, every one of us at Fresh Life, this, this, he's talking to us. It is your job to protect the unity of your church. Unity in the church is so important that the New Testament gives more attention to it than to either heaven or hell. God deeply desires that we experience oneness and harmony with each other. Unity is the soul of fellowship. Destroy it and you rip out the heart of Jesus' body. You rip the heart out of Christ's body. Now that seems strong, that seems shocking, but guess what? This is something God takes so seriously that when in the book of Proverbs, he made a list of all the things he hates. He said, here's some stuff I hate. And he included in the list, the person who sows discord in a family. The, the person who's, he, he hates the, the behavior of someone who, who tries to disrupt a family from doing the thing the family's doing. By the way, that he, he lists alongside murder and telling lies. So that tells you just how important 
our unity is to God, and it should be that important to us as well. Our big idea we're gonna focus on is that where there is unity, there is strength, but where there is division, there is weakness. church, this unity, but it's not just important in the church. Unity is important anywhere. There's more than one person involved in anything. Of course, that means we need unity between us and God and our relationship with Him. We need unity within a marriage. Unity is important, essential within a family. Any team, any company, any unit, anything where there's more than one person moving towards a cause, moving towards fulfilling something, unity is essential. And that's why the devil, quite frankly, attacks unity so vigorously. He knows what you need to know. If he can divide, he can conquer. And that's why he'll try and get in between a husband and wife. The moment you say, I do, his desire is to get you to say, I don't. His goal is to get little factions into a group, to get little gossipy, quarrely, oh, the coach doesn't know what he's doing, I should get played more, why don't I get started, everyone looking out for themselves kind of thing on a team. He'll try and get you uh, polarized in, in a little uh, group of people who are similar to you in race or similar to you in, in, in some way where you're talking bad about other people or how others believe. If you're a Democrat, it's against the Republicans. If you're a Republican, it's against the Democrats. It's, Every, the enemy always tries to get us to divide. And so that's why we have to fight so aggressively for our unity. Now that's fantastic. The question, of course, becomes how? What are the building blocks of unity? I think that's important for us to face up to and to ask before we start to really unpack Psalm 133 and talk about the blessings of unity, because that's what the Psalm's all about. It's all about the blessings of unity. What is the Mountain Dew and what is the beard oil? We're gonna get there. But it's no good talking about how awesome unity is going to be in your life if we don't first look at the price tag. There's gonna be some sticker shock when we actually face up to what it takes to get to unity on an ongoing basis. I think it's maybe even more important that we talk about how before we talk about what, what's gonna be released in our lives. Because the truth is we all to some degree can relate to Jay Leno who once famously said, I would do anything to have a perfect body, anything except for diet and exercise. And of course, there's some, there's some humor in that, meaning we, we all want a, a perfect body, but what does it actually take to, to get one? That's where some of us balk. And unity is a wonderful thing to talk about. Oh, we should unite and we, sh we should be more united and, and that's, that's fantastic. But what does it actually take? I've jotted down three things that are building blocks to unity. And the first is humility. It takes humility to get to unity. Why? Because for multiple people, for multiple, from multiple different backgrounds and, and points of view and perspectives, for people who have different experiences, have grown up in different cultures, speak different languages, for people to come together and unite, there has to be a humbling because we're all choosing to set ourselves aside, to lay our egos and our pride at the door 
to be a part of something bigger, to be a part of something that's, that's better and bigger than any one of us individually because we then corporately get to be something powerful. So it takes humility. Of course, pride lifts our, yourself up above and says, I, I, I see it this way. I'm different. I, I, I should get this treatment. And humility says, I'm a part of something bigger than myself. And humility recognizes the power that each of us bring to the table in a team, in a, in a family, in a, in a company, in a church. Because unity doesn't mean uniformity. We're all different. We're all given different personalities by God, different spiritual gifts by God. We're all unique and we're all coming together, not to lay aside our uniqueness, but to use our uniqueness as we accept the uniqueness of others in the pursuit of something that's bigger than we are. So it, 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 it requires humility to swallow the desire, the desire to want everybody else to be like you. In a marriage, it's, it's the easiest thing to resent the uniqueness of your spouse and to see their weaknesses as something they shouldn't be weak at because those happen to be your strengths. That is so easy to do and to expect and assume and almost treat them badly because they're not like you, but they aren't. And you come in together doesn't mean you're going to be good at what you're bad at or they're going to be bad at what they're good at. It means you're both choosing to utilize your strengths and leverage your strengths humbly to serve each other and to serve the cause that you're a part of. So it takes humility. What does humility look like? Humility looks like understanding there's no such thing as a small part. And whatever part I play in the team effort, whatever part I play in the company is not a small part because every part is a necessary part. Someone once said, who was a famous director, in a movie, there's no such thing as a small part. There's only small actors and small actresses who would see a part with very little dialogue or only one or two scenes as being beneath them or less them. And so they wouldn't put their whole heart into that scene. The truth is there are no small parts in the church. In this world full of broken people that God wants to reach, full of creative things he wants you to create, there's no small part. And whatever gift you've been given, whether it's behind the scene or an upfront, a flashy or a more low key, every single part is important. And it takes humility to recognize that and to say, there's nothing inferior. There's nothing beneath me. Anything that's needed to be done is something I'm gladly willing to do. That kind of unity and power, that takes humility. Unity also uh, expresses humility through asking lots of questions, through listening more than you're speaking, through wanting to know where people are coming from. The second building block is trust. Within the family, within the team, within the church, there needs to be a sense of trust, that we trust each other. And only where that trust exists can there be the kind of vulnerability that's needed to achieve the results that are intended from that company, from that team, or from that church or family. It takes trust. It takes trust that would allow you to not have a suspicious culture where there's always this sense that someone's out to get me or, or someone's vying for my spot or, or looking to build uh, you know, their turf or their little silo as opposed to the, the whole. Stephen Covey, the leadership guru, he wrote a book called The Speed of Trust and actually showed that organizations go further and faster where there's high amounts of trust. And you can test the trust in an organization based on how quickly and readily someone is willing to speak the words, I made a mistake. 
you see in a, in a culture where there's low trust, we all want to, 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 to hide our mistakes. I didn't do this, and so I'm not going to tell anybody about it because, you know, certainly I, 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 they're out to get me and I'd get in trouble if I said this. But in a culture where there's trust and people are able to be vulnerable and everyone knows that, that we're going to make mistakes and that's fostered, someone's quick to say, I need help. I don't understand this, or I'm not doing well, or I'm not healthy personally. Where there's high trust, everyone in the organization, everyone in the team wants to rush in as a family would and help that. And so there's not this guard up, defenses up, fake it till you make it kind of you know, phoniness to the culture. There's a trust that's deep that allows there to be that authentic sense of I can be me. I can be who God made me to be. And we love each other. We trust each other. Here's how I'm doing. Here's what I need help with. Here's my fears. And where there's that kind of trust, there can be true levels of unity. That also means that there needs to be uh, the third ingredient, and the third ingredient, or the third building block is tenacity. Tenacity. And tenacity is really determination. Tenac tenacity speaks of grit or grip, that everybody is, is fired up and moving towards that cause. There's not an indifference. There's not a casualness to it. It's not like, I'm, I'm here till something better comes along. I mean, think about the marriage vows. Marriage vows, till death do us part for better or for worse. Those words are meant to invoke a sense of tenacity. And one must remind themselves of the kind of vows they made and the kind of commitment that they're in this for, I think, to see results in any endeavor. The, the company, the, the startup, the entrepreneur, the, the small business owner that's just kind of, oh, well, you know, we'll see what happens. That's not the one that's going to move and shake. It's that blood, sweat, and tears. It's the you know, tread on the bottom of your shoes that really are going to grip into the ground. It's that tenacity that says, I'm, I'm, I'm in this thing. Nothing great has ever been done with someone with a, by someone with a lukewarm heart. It takes that kind of tenacity. So then we have humility. We have this sense of trust. But then there's also this sense of tenacity. And that holds each other accountable. Yes, there's the love and the trust and the humility, but true tenacity expressed through humble words of encouragement to those around you who are not uh, approaching it or engaging it with the desire that it, it really merits to see uh, the vision come to life. There really needs to be that tenacity. I like how Jim Collins put it. Uh, he talked about level five leaders. And one of the traits he said of level five leaders is that they are people with a mixture of this, listen, Profound humility with furious resolve. That's a level five leader. Profound humility, but also furious resolve. That is someone who's leading with trust, someone who's leading with a spirit of humility, and there's also some serious tenacity. So that's the price we must pay if we're willing to say, hey, we want to be united. We want there to be something that we're moving towards together. There must be humility, there must be trust, and there must be tenacity. Life becomes enjoyable. 
life becomes enjoyable. If you look at the text, we looked at verse one, it says, behold how good and how pleasant it is. And really in the Hebrew language, I'm told that it means like extremely good and extraordinarily pleasant. There's just something about a life where there's not friction. There's just something about when people are at peace. There's something you just experience when around you, the people that you're working with, the people that you're living with, the person that you're married to, when you're not fighting or when you've worked through a fight. And maybe that's a better language because I think it's an unrealistic picture and quite frankly, an unhealthy one to think and expect there's not going to be fighting, that there's not going to be difficult conversations. But where there is uh, high unity, where there's high tenacity, high levels of humility, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for there to be that kind of difficulty and disagreement. And, and the, the point is where there's unity, we care more about the relationship being right than us being right. So we're committed to using empathy, to being emotionally intelligent, to being vulnerable, to using our words, to try and see life through each other's eyes and to work hard to make sure that we're trying to listen to not just our inner voice, but to the inner voice of each other. I think that's important because, you know, when someone says something that hurts your feelings, your inner voice is quick to pick up on it and go, why'd they say that? Why'd they do that? Why didn't they invite me? Why'd they blah, 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 blah. You hear your inner voice, but really true unity comes when you're working hard to listen to your wife's inner voice, to listening to your, your coworkers' inner voice, to your boss's inner voice, to anyone around you on your team or you work with, where you're trying to see uh, from their perspective. And so you're not just talking at each other, but you're talking, talking to each other. So you're working through those things. And what, is it, what does it lead to? It leads to a high level of enjoyability where you just kind of like, this is good and this is pleasant. We're working through our conflicts. We're using our words. We're not walking around hurt, but with a fake veneer of everything's good because we don't trust each other enough to actually, you know, tell them that they hurt your feelings or that they offended you or they made you sad. But with that high level of trust, you're being vulnerable. Hey, and, and here's a huge one. We're being quick to admit when we're wrong. Quick to say, hey, that was not cool that I did that. I shouldn't have said it. I'm sorry, will you please forgive me without qualification, without the dreaded word, but, that negates everything that you said. Like, I'm so sorry I did this, but, you shouldn't have, blah, blah. No, you don't mean it, you use the word but. Really, what you really mean begins once you've used that conjunction. So when we're engaging at that level, life becomes truly enjoyable. That's what I've experienced in my relationship with Jenny. We have had so many disagreements and so many fights. There's been so many hurt feelings, but where we've truly committed to empathizing, where we've truly come together and prayed through and talked through and worked through and, and said, I'm sorry, I should not have said that. And where there's been that kind of, of trust and vulnerability and humility, that kind of profound humility, what, what it leads to is moments where there is just such an enjoyable quality of life. And I think that's what God wants to unleash on your life. He wants you in your relationships, your team, in church and small group to feel that sense of this is good. This is pleasant. We're paying the price of, of working through these things. And now on the back end, we really get to enjoy the sweetness of unity. That was what we once experienced with God in the Garden of Eden before sin entered and we began to be selfish. The second thing we're going to see unleashed in our lives where there is unity is our teamwork is going to become even more capable. Our teams, our, our unit, our, 
our soccer team, whatever it is, we're going to become even more capable. Why is that? Well, look at the verse again, verse 2. It says, this unity is like precious oil that runs down the head, down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. And you're like, okay, could you please explain this? Because I'm new to church. Now you're really creeping me out with all this talk of oily beards and wet garments. It doesn't make any sense. You have to remember, back in that day, anointing oil always spoke of new opportunity and appointment to service. Specifically, Aaron was the high priest. And so you have this picture of someone who was ready to serve in this role as priest, but first they had to be anointed. Kings and priests always were anointed. And so this oil that was crushed from olives spoke of enabling quality, of, of being called to a new quality of service, a new degree of service, a new opportunity that was going to open up to you. And that's what's going to happen. You're going to watch unity unleash power in your team, in the effort of people coming together to fulfill a cause. Uh, that's what these, this, this picture of the Holy Spirit is, uh, is, is speaking about. You have to understand something about the Holy Spirit. He's allergic to division. He hates it. And it, he doesn't like the discord. He doesn't like the strife. So where that's prevailing, he's not going to bless it with that new opportunity, with that new ability, with that supernatural enablement. But where he sees people coming together, well, all through the Bible, you just see those who are united become more powerful. Where there's unity, there's strength. Where there's division, there's weakness. Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. They came together, united to build a tower, and God said, if we don't scatter their languages up, mix their languages up, nothing they do will be too difficult for them. Book of Nehemiah. They came together to build a wall. It was tried before for years it couldn't be done. They did it in 50 some odd days. Why? They were united as one man, the Bible says. And that's also why they were such a great spiritual revival too. Book of Acts, same thing. They came together in one accord and the Holy Spirit powered their efforts, blessed their unities. They all lifted up the name of Jesus. And what happened? They basically planted churches all over the Roman Empire and were described as these who have turned the world upside down have come here too where there's a group of people chasing a common cause with that trust, with that humility, with that tenacity, all of a sudden they're experiencing whole new levels of capability. A united team can actually perform as though there were twice as many of them as there actually are. It's a, a synergy thing. It's Leviticus chapter 26, five of you shall chase a hundred but a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. It's this promise of new capabilities being locked, new opportunities being opened up, where you come together. God just blesses it in a unique way. It's like the oil that rained, rained down the, the head of David that charged him to go fight Goliath. It's, it's really just this amazing thing that happens where you come together as one and then you fight as though you're more than you really are. So it's enjoyable. You become more capable. The third thing you need to write down is that it becomes sustainable. Sustainable. You see where everything's casual, there's low levels of trust, you, you're not really, uh, really, really, truly tenaciously pursuing the vision. People come, people go, here for a little bit till something better comes along, use that team as a stepping stool. It's not sustainable. It's not all in. It's not fanatic and passionate and going the long haul. But where there's real true levels of, of unity, there becomes this, this sense that 
we, there's a staying power to it. It really causes you to, to put down roots and for there to be permanence in, in your commitment that can weather good and bad seasons alike. Now, hold on, you're, you're saying, Levi, where is this in the text? I need to see this in the Bible. Hey, thank you for asking. It's, uh, it says in verse three, this unity is like the dew of Hermon that descends upon the mountains of Zion. Wow, that's awesome. Mountain dew in the Bible. Here's what you need to know. These giant mountains that were, some of them as much as 10,000 feet above sea level, they would have dew, of course, in the, in the morning, in the early morning hours. But the arid desert community that, that, that lived where this, this dew would, would, would show up, they depended on it. It was critical. The area I'm at only gets 10 inches of rainfall per year. It is very lacking in water. And in such an area, any water that comes is precious and any water that comes is critical to the survival and to the sustainability. What this is saying is the unity that's there is gonna release this sense of sustainability. It's gonna cause there to be dew falling each day where otherwise people would fall up, their enthusiasm would, would diminish and they were passionate about it for a while. Man, I love Fresh Life, love what God's doing. And where are they in six months? Where are they in a year? Where are they in five years? Where are they the moment it gets difficult? The moment it's not so fun, the moment you're not really just seeing great results, but the, the sense of I'm getting dew every day, even though it's difficult, God's continuing to feed my resolve. That is an effort that's sustainable. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says this on the subject of unity, speaking about how much better we are together. Two people are better than one. They can help each other out in everything they do. Suppose someone falls down, and I really hope that does not happen. But if it does, his friend can help him up. But suppose the man who falls down doesn't have anyone to help him up. One person could be overpowered, but two people can stand up for themselves. And a rope made out of three cords isn't easily broken. The author Solomon is saying that there's such a strength that comes from more and more things being united together in a purpose. I mean, you think about one little stick and how easy it is to break it, but you add a second stick in, you add a third stick in, it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's what he means when he says a threefold cord is not easily broken. And I think that's where we really need to land this plane on unity because it's that third fold of the cord. It's that third stick added together. That, that, that's really where we look to God. In a marriage, it's not just the, the two trying really hard. Oh, I'm gonna try and be humble. I'm gonna try and be tenacious. I'm gonna try and exercise trust because we really want that blessed, enjoyable, you know, sustainable, uh, capable relationship. No, it's that third fold. It's that third cord. It's that third stick. And that's where we look to God. It's having Jesus at the center of the marriage that gives that strength, that gives that, that quality of unity. You're uniting together around that third stick. And that's that power that we need from on high. And that's why the Holy Spirit is really at the center of this. If you look back at verse three one more time, we see God's hand on this unity. It says, there, where? That place of unity, the Lord commanded blessing. And what blessing is it? Life forevermore. You see, God commands blessing 
where there's unity around Jesus, where there's unity around a cause. And that's what we really can believe for, that we're going to experience God's blessing on our teams, on our families, on our marriages. We're going to see God's blessing on our church as we unite around the name of Jesus. And as that happens, we'll be able to do what we could never do on our own. And we very much will tangibly sense God with us in everything we do. I want to close kind of with an illustration from music in two different ways. One, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a barbershop quartet, probably movies and TV, where you have these, these four guys, you know, kind of singing different harmonies and melodies and just kind of coming together with their kind of outfits and hats and the whole thing. I've heard that when you're in a barbershop quartet that is really good and the voices are really coming together and harmonizing and just it's perfection, that the four people in that quartet have this sensation that they describe as the fifth man. That is to say that when these four voices are blending together, it's almost as though they each can hear coming out of their harmony, coming out of their song, a fifth voice. It's almost like, they say, some, almost like a supernatural experience, this voice coming out of their unity. And that's a power to think about. As we unite, we're going to just sense God's blessing on the unity, giving us the strength and the propulsion of power to move forward. For us in our context as a church, that means that we're going to believe as we fight to be a church where everything we do is so that those who are stranded in sin would find life and liberty in Christ. And though we're spread out in these four states, all walking our own trails, all living in our neighborhoods, all working our jobs, trying to bring God glory and love people and love our spouses and our kids and our families imperfectly as we do, but as we unite together and live for something bigger than ourselves, that we're going to sense a, a, almost that fifth voice. It's going to be the voice of God almost harmonizing with us. And it's going to be this supernatural, beautiful thing that we sense His blessing. We sense His beauty as real as these canyons that ring out behind me and the, the beauty of Dead Horse Point in Utah. What a crazy name, by the way. Uh, but I, I just really believe that for all of us. This, the last analogy that I want to use is something that just really encouraged me recently because unity is difficult. Personalities are difficult. Getting along in a family, getting along in a church, there's going to be conflict. It's part of the process. It's part of the experience. But the reason it's worth it to fight for it. The reason that we should all, as we close this message, begin to even ask ourselves, where is there a lack of unity in my heart? Questions to ponder. Am I, am I a humble leader? Am I building, am I bosses, am I, am I leading in, in such a way that engenders trust? Do I call people to account but not admit my own mistakes? Is it a place on my soccer team or my workplace where People can raise their hand up and say, I made a mistake. And that the, the result is everyone rushing in to help and not, oh, how could you? How dare you? But this is a, we're, we're believing there's going to be tons of little failures on the way to success. So these are the questions we need to be asking ourselves. Where do we need to repent? Where in a moment as we sing or if you're watching Church Online, when you get still before God sometime today or this week, where is there need for repentance in my heart? for realignment? Where have I been sowing discord or where have I been dividing energy away from a common vision? These are the questions that we ask that will, will get us to wholeness. I was reading a book written by the band U2 and this is their autobiography. And the drummer for U2 is Larry Mullen Jr. And he of course drums for arguably the most famous rock band in the world. And in the book, he talked about the difficulties of all the different personality. And I want to close with this excerpt as we begin to, to close this. He said, we are four very, very different people with diverse personalities. 
All of us have various needs, both professionally and privately. We are one, but we are definitely not the same. If there is something special about you two, it has nothing to do with us as individuals. It's what happens when we get together on stage or in the studio. It's very hard to describe and even harder to explain. However, it's the only reason we are still doing this. Now listen to this last line. When we play music together, something happens. That's the power of Beard Oil and Mountain Dew. This band, think about all the opportunities they had to clash and to go their separate ways and do their own separate things, but they've stayed together. And I believe it's that spirit of unity that will mark our efforts with God's power as we do all he's called us to do. May that kind of unity fill our spirits, fill our sails, and mark our futures. When we play music together, Fresh Life, something happens. Well, thank you so much for watching this teaching from our Happy Trail series. For more content from Fresh Life Church and to stay up to date with everything while you're out on summer vacation, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel by clicking the link below.